Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us for our recap and discussion of Wrath, book four in The Faithful and the Fallen by John Gwynn. The final book in The Faithful and the Fallen by John Gwynn. Chad, give me some of your thoughts. All right. So first off, there is a few things that everyone would have died without that I just want to cover real fast. (laughs) Two specifically. One is tunnels man those giants really had some foresight when they built tunnels underneath every keep that they built which is basically every like historical significant keep and castle and landmark that we have a battle in or around our main characters would have died so many times if it was not for secret tunnels under every one of those bastards to help them get free at some point and the other one surprisingly is our flapping friends the crows the crows (laughs) really are clutch who get way smarter with every book i feel like man (laughs) there's like a theme of in my opinion kind of unearned character growth where they're just like characters are not one thing in one book and the next book they're like a world-renowned battle strategist leader and the crows are like the perfect example because they go from like kind of like parrot companions able to like squawk out some like funny one-liners to literally being able to like teach people about the history and like regurgitate (laughs) word-for-word conversations and they have personalities and uh they really get personified hard and also save the day many times (laughs) yeah i mean like this definitely felt like a last book in the series for sure definitely it, it was it was it was you know it's funny because each book is epic but this was definitely the most epic uh there were definitely i felt like this was the most like vivid of all four books you know what i mean like if i felt is I the felt, right word yeah, yeah like i just felt like it, it was like the most confident of all four of them it felt like like i knew i could really see what was happening in this book but like also i i think it was just um it was a lot more of a lot of what was happening in the books previous as well it's like you liked battle here's yeah, more yeah, there is definitely <laughs> it is in here for sure but i don't know like i'm I'm excited to kind of talk more about this because like i feel like some of the characters wrapped up in a pretty satisfying way and then others i was just kind of like oh okay well yep that's it that's it that's all of that then i guess like like to be totally fair like that is kind of how it is for a lot of epic fantasy at the very end of a epic fantasy series like there are some characters i feel like in almost all the ones that i've read that just kind of like drop off and you're like not really ready for it and but that's just totally. how, it, how it shakes down and we just move on and it's like it's so chaotic and it's just such a mess that it it kind of works and it like kind of makes sense like there were a couple characters i mean we can go into spoiler territory obviously because we're in the fourth book in this um but like like wasn't expecting gar at all like i really i don't know i think it was just i mean maybe to die you mean yeah to die uh, but i wasn't yeah, yeah, expecting yeah. that like and maybe like looking back it's like you know he was like corbin's like other father figure like uncle i guess like kind of figure parental figures very infrequently make it through these sort yeah, of like <laughs> like if you're a parent in the world of faithful and the fallen uh you your days are numbered for sure yeah. like if, you're, if you're any kind of authority figure to this because i feel like all the young people kind of like survived well not all of them almost all of the old people died you could say that yeah i mean i think this fourth one uh, i'm just kind of uh, you know, to be totally transparent, like I'm just kind of happy to be done with this series. Like I'm a little fatigued with all of it, but I will say, like the fourth one definitely felt like it was like the easiest one to read. You know, yeah, like because it was just it felt like 
like all right here's what we're doing like let's go you know and it was just it was just it was the pedal was just all the way to the metal oh we were flooring it without any rests yeah i think i read this the fastest out of all three of these actually same yeah and a few things kind of went towards that feeling of like this is an ending book like we had just i mean the second half i think there's uh like 35 chapters of the end of this book that is just one large battle. I mean, it, yeah. it, it ebbs and it flows and there's, you know, different groups and different like clashes within it, but it's basically one solid battle, which is really exciting. His blocking, his battles are are always good and they've only gotten better. This one was especially uh, excellent, which I would have been honestly really, really disappointed if we didn't culminate and end with like an awesome flexing of John Gwynn's most uh, potent skill as an author which is just his battles and kind of getting you engaged in them and i feel what you were saying where there's kind of like a like a suddenness to a lot of the wrapping up of like oh when that person's dead and that person's happy and sailing in the sunset okay and it's just but i don't know how else you would do it with such a enormous cast you just kind of have to yeah you know? it's like you gotta do it yeah exactly like um you know yeah things things kind of come to a point where it's just like okay something has to be done here right I do think that this is John Gwynn's best piece of writing, just like as like a as a I writer, you can really see yeah. his progression from like the beginning first one to this one. It's just cleaner. It's better. There's still way too many characters. And yeah, I'm sure some of it is like due to my familiarity is increased with each sure. one of the characters, but it's not just that he's a he's a better writer by book four. Absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. I totally made a note for this because I don't think that writing was ever bad at all, no. but it was definitely like a little clunky sometimes and just felt a little bit like, oh, that was kind of a weirdly structured sentence. And like that was a, a weird paragraph and way weird way to describe, you know, just like small little nitpicky things. But then with this, I felt like the dialogue was a lot snappier. We were like kind of like just engaging in scenes like a lot more efficiently. Uh, yeah. So like I don't know. I just started think at that, the right time. Yeah. Like, like it, you got it, that. <laughs> so like, you know, uh, we're going to get into the recap here uh, real quick. But um, before that, I just want to say like, I feel like Wrath, like I didn't totally love all the things that actually happened and like some stuff just didn't make a bunch of sense to me Same. but i will say that like this book like reading this book has made me more excited to read more john gwynn in the future uh, especially the bloodsworns trilogy i don't think i'm gonna read the other series that takes place in the banished lands maybe it's good like maybe it's solid but yeah i think that Wrath definitely it's not even my I think Malice is my favorite out of all four of them personally. What's your order? I think I would put I uh hmm, I didn't really think it was Hannah, but I think Malice, Valor, Wrath, and then Ruin. So it'd be like book one was my favorite, book two was my second favorite, and then book four was my third favorite, and book three was my least favorite. I almost wanted to stop after book three. Like, except for that end, the very, very end of book three, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. you got me, John Gwynn. Like, okay, I'll keep reading <laughs> yeah. this. What about you? I would say, I almost want to give it a clean, just like four, three, two, one, but like it's, hmm. it's four, three, two, or one. I'm not quite okay. sure. I liked one, but I mean, I struggled so much with one just because there's so much character. All, yeah, there's so many yeah. characters. And if there's anything that I have to say that's like, in my opinion, like, bad about these books is just like the approach on telling this story in via so many eyes was confusing it didn't really help the story the one thing it did help was these was understanding the fullness of a 
battle. So you can kind of have this camera that floats from one person, one side, one character to the other. And you understand that character and position motivations, kind of why they're in this battle and what they're trying to accomplish really well. But besides that really cool feature of having so many characters, it was just cumbersome and yeah. it didn't help that so many of them shared their names. So yeah, I would say one and two are about even for me. And then, um, then three, we get a, a pretty, in my opinion, a pretty big, chunk forward as far as like yeah i loved this into ruin and then a way larger chunk forward into i really like this into wrath yeah i mean i think with one i think the reason i liked one so much was because there were fewer povs i mean it was really just corbin Kiwen. i think camlin had some veratus and uh castell and evis and i'm pretty sure that's it like yeah i could I be wrong but... that castell Way I know because he day, dies like, in has, the very yeah. it's so funny because he, he just gets kind of swapped with McKean. But honestly, like <laughs> and you know, like Castell dying at the end of the first book is really like a good showcase of like why Gwyn kind kind of works so for a lot of people and like why Gwyn it seems like he 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 does a very good job at kind of like taking some tropes and saying okay like what can we do with these tropes and like let's subvert a few things like let's let's do a couple I mean, even in Wrath like this last book I was still. Even though I was kind of fatigued with some of the, you know, just general throat slitting and and spears through the gut and like all, you know what I mean, like all that kind of stuff. Like totally, um, I I was still surprised sometimes and still kind of like, oh, all right, that's an interesting choice. Like, which is cool. I like when that happens when I'm reading. And I think that Castell dying was a very good kind of like precursor almost. It was like that. Get ready for this because I'm gonna do this kind of like nobody's super safe except for my antagonist, which I will get into later. But like, there's definitely <laughs> seems <laughs> like he definitely seems kind of biased towards his villains. You know what I mean? Like, there's totally. just there's a lot of moments where it's just like, oh, thought that guy was dead, but yeah, like JL <laughs> the betrayer. Man, that guy just he he was like. Uh, the Ark of the Scythe guy, Godrud or what Goddard when it comes to killing yeah, just people. Love killing. JL just loved betray, dude. He would just <laughs> betray in everybody. Like at, at the very end, like the last like 20 minutes that he's alive, he like has you think like there's no way this guy can betray like another person on his side. And he like sees like the king who was like kind of made fun of him after his defeat at Drassel at the last book when he kind of arrived like scraggly and, and defeated with his group of guys all covered in dirt. And he like makes fun of him for being dirty and defeated. And he sees him like struggling as he's like running away from the keen on the ground. And he's like, help me. And he's like, ah, screw this guy. <laughs> he knifes him and kills him. He's like, wow, JL managed to put one more up on the board as far as betraying your friends. I mean, you know, at least we got a consistent character here, you know. There is many times during these books that people are about to die. You know, Rin's about to knife Corbin and the door breaks open, you know, and he gets saved. Jail's about to be killed by Makin multiple times and he gets saved by insert random person who intercepts Makin's blade, you know. At, at one point, a very random person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get into the recap. Okay, let's do it. The book begins with Veratus and Alcyon, gasping as they crawl up the side of a river. Alcyon, upon reaching the safety of the bank, thanks Veratus, explaining he has been both magically controlled by Calidus, who had created a little Alcyon voodoo effigy he used to control him, much like the one Calidus made for Lycos to control Fidelae, as well as keeping Alcyon's wife and child as his captive. And now, because Veratus released his wife and child, as well as accidentally destroying the effigy, Alcyon finds himself free at long last, and eternally grateful to Veratus. He tells him that he has been under Calidus's influence for 16 years, 
Calidus is sure to be enraged and most certainly has sent men in pursuit of them. A desperate run ensues, ending with Veratus and Alcyon forced to turn and fight their pursuers, on the brink of being overwhelmed. As they scream their defiant last, surrounded by attacking Kadashim, Krellis, Veratus' brother, and 15 or so of his men join the fight and beat off the attacking Kadashim. Veratus and Alcyon manage to get free of Calidus' clutches. During a dream where Corbin once again finds himself in the spirit realm, he is captured by a morally questionable character named Viathan who casually mentions consuming Corbin's soul many times, saying that he is Viathan, the Eater of Souls. Corbin is saved by Ben Elim, who swoop in, and he is taken to Michael, who tells him about Calidus's attack and how Drassel has been taken. Though he does reassure Corbin that Gar led a successful escape from the tunnels, and while some of his army has been slain, others taken as captive, many were able to get away and still live. Coraline and company set off to find what happened to Corbin and comes across a barely alive storm. Brenna takes Storm into her care and begins nursing her back to health. They discover giant tracks leading away from the site and begin pursuing them, correctly assuming that they are the ones who captured Corbin. Makin and Fidele and the others who fought off Rin's forces at the end of the last book decide to leave their swamp, agreeing that they will be more useful in the forest, attacking the weakly guarded enemy forces who are busy constructing a road to Drassel. They meet up with Veratus and Krellis and the assortment of men with them. Together they attack. Makin sees Jael escaping out the back, and after a merry chase, Jael turns to meet him. Makin is overcome with hatred and takes his time playing with Jael, who is wildly outmatched. Jael is confident at first, knowing himself to be younger and faster, but he has no idea that Makin has been mastering his bloody craft in the Vinthalan fighting pits and is a finely honed killing machine. Makin easily defeats Jael. Jael, left with no one to betray as he lays on his back, closes his eyes waiting for Makin's killing blow. But one of his men intercepts Makin, and JL manages to stand and flee the field, promising himself to rally men and come back and get his revenge, no doubt after lying and betraying his way into a leadership position of another army. As fate would have it during the melee, JL would be besieged by a fallen Gondel, King of Carnatin, a supposed ally to assist him. But JL recalls how the unblooded, arrogant young king scorned him, making fun of JL for running and arriving at his camp with his ragged bunch, bloody, dirty, and defeated after his recent loss at Drassel. Number one to let a good betrayal pass, JL stabs his ally king in the face, fulfilling JL's lust for betraying one of his own, temporarily at least. Makin manages to overtake JL, pursuing him relentlessly, but not before JL manages to get Fidele under his control, and he uses her to keep Makin from attacking him. Makin lays down his weapons and tells JL to let her go. He will fight him without any weapons, while JL can keep his. Fidele makes it to safety, and Makin growls for Castell as he advances on JL. A revenge-fueled bloodlust overtakes him. Makin tears him to pieces, ripping JL's weapon from him. He breaks his arm and picks up one of JL's knives, and Private Ryan-style slowly sinks it into the soft underbelly of JL's chin, the whole time repeating, For Castell. JL, the betrayer, dies no better than he lived, pathetic, groveling, and ready to betray his allies at a moment's notice. Cohen has been taken captive by Calidus during his surprise attack on Drassil, and is being held with many other prisoners. Cohen and the others are forced to watch every morning as Calidus or one of his vile Karashim slowly impale a prisoner alive on a stake, Calidus proclaiming that the staking will continue every day that Corbin still walks free. Makin manages to oversee some Vinthalan being attacked and joins the attackers with his men. 
He finds out with joy that his old shield brother Tyhir, his last living sword brother from the Gadrai, is alive and part of the force he and his men just helped win a battle. They have giants with them, and we get to see an inspiring moment as two clans, Alcyons and the giants with the other group, with Makin's friends, have had a long and deep hatred between them, and with a touching move of cultural growth, they agree they will not kill each other and give working together a shot. Wraith is feeling wonderful after drinking from the mysterious cup he found in the swamp, and being unconscious for a 10-day, he wakes up with a new awareness of his surroundings and clearly heightened senses, and most likely reflexes and strength at the very least, though he doesn't appear to be wondering or even testing his new abilities and takes them remarkably in stride. Creepy old Queen Rin certainly takes note of him and begins casting him questionable and suggestive glances. Corbin is finally taken before the king of the giant clan that has captured him. There he plays his hand, revealing his true identity and imploring the wizened giant king with thousands of bear-riding warriors to command to join him in his cause and help prevent Azroth the enemy from coming into this land and destroying all that is good and holy. Though his words are heard and briefly considered, the giant king quickly rules that Corbin is to be taken into the desolation lands far, far away and quietly killed and his body is to be hidden and buried in a pit. No one must know, should this turn other groups for or against them. As Corbin is being taken away, he realizes that the giant king is in possession of the Starstone Dagger, and yells, telling the king that Calidus will never rest. There is no land too far that he will be able to take his clan, that Calidus will not follow for that dagger. Clearly, under the golem-like one-ring powers the Starstone's treasures seem to possess, the giant king snarls that it is his and no one will ever get it. Corbin is taken outside by the giant, whose brother he had recently slain, and grabs a practice iron sword, thinking that this is as good a time as any should his fate be to go down. He wants it to be on his own terms with a sword, or as close to one as possible. Just as he is about to close with the giant, Gar comes striding into camp, sword held high, screaming a giant challenge to any who will hear. Everything comes to a halt. Coraline has used this distraction as a chance to gain footing on the giant's wall and manages to slip over it while everyone is distracted, with Corbin and Gar below. They're quickly joined by an equally discreet Dath. Gar's challenge is accepted and the giants who still follow the old ways circle up and agree to let Gar leave should he win. But when asked if his victory can include Corbin's freedom, he is denied. Gar is able to defeat the giant, and though the giant sees Corbin escaping and do their best to prevent their prisoner from getting away, Gar, Coraline, Dath, and the company of others that were with them manage to get away. Varadis leads a tricky assault to free the captives in Drasil by dressing up a bunch of men as eagle guards and gaining entry into the front of Drasil, while Alcyon leads a distraction assault on the back. Varadis and Cohen briefly find each other during the melee as Varadis is quickly discovered by a small group of Kadashin, who manage to separate the captives. Varadis, though it pains him to leave there without knowing the fate of Cohen, is forced to lead his prisoner group and men free. Cohen manages to lead her group into some tunnels beneath the giant-made tree fort. As even the fort that is a tree fort, the giants were sure to add extensive tunnels leading in and out of the fortress beneath them. Both groups get free and manage to escape with their lives. Calidus discovers a secret room in Drasil that has marked the location of the Starstone treasures, and sends Lycos off to find the Torque, hidden on an island, many leagues away in a lake close to where Alcyon grew up. Fidele decides to take some men and pursue Nathair, thinking that if she can just talk with her son, she can get him back on the side of the good. So after putting a sleeping pill in Makin's drink one night, she slinks off, some of her men in tow, and immediately gets her men killed and herself taken captive by Lycos. Makin discovers this and sets off after them. 
This arc culminates in Lycos discovering a giant community living in a cave on this island, and using his Kadashim, he is able to defeat many and get the Torque. Makin shows up in the middle of their fight and aids the giants. Lycos escapes with the Torque, but leverages Fidele to escape, instructing Makin to slit his own wrists or watch Fidele get thrown over a cliff as he is holding her by the scruff of her neck over the side of one. Fidele pulls away from Lycos and throws herself over the cliff. Lycos then escapes as Legion, one of the Kadashim, prevents Makin from pursuing him. Makin defeats Legion and throws his head after Lycos, which splashes down next to him as he frantically rows away, Fidele's crumpled, dead corpse lying on the side of the river. After many skirmishes, battles won and battles lost, the book culminates in a series of battles. Nathair is defeated, having most of his army, en route to Drasil, being eaten by ants that were fleeing a deliberately lit fire. He and his remaining men get in sight of Drasil, and now, being bolstered by reinforcements sent out of Drasil by Calidus, are fighting anew. Their army, though wildly reduced, has now been reinforced by Calidus's army coming out of Drasil, and now, once again, outnumber the forces of good. Though the majority of the goodly forces are committed to the battle in front of Drasil, this is just a distraction, and Cohen leads Corbin and a small company of others into the tunnels she used to escape Drasil earlier in the book. Their plan is to destroy the Starstone treasures in the cauldron, bringing the ones they have with them and knowing that Calidus has the rest along with the cauldron, which they need to destroy them in the keep as well. Their plan seems to go swimmingly as they make it all the way to the room containing the treasures and destroy the guard of Kadashim there. They begin the ritual to destroy the Starstone treasures when Calidus springs his own trap. Being one step ahead of them as usual, he is ready for them and they are quickly dispatched and forced to watch as Calidus kills Brenna and finishes the ritual. A scream of ecstasy is heard as a portal between the spirit and mortal realm is forced open, Kadashim streaming through by the hundreds, then the thousands. The sky blackens with them. Corbin falls into himself, hearing a calling from Michael from the spirit realm. He appears in the spirit realm and frees Michael, telling him that the portal is open. Michael explains to him that this, the portal being opened, was the Ben Elam's plan from the beginning, so they could come through and defeat the Kadashim and live on side by side with Elion's favored creation and protect them, living in their own realm for all time. Azroth himself makes an appearance, and he and his Kadashim take wing and begin decimating the goodly forces outside of Drasil. All seems lost, Corbin and his crew still captured, Brenna dead, and their forces outside quickly being reduced to nothing. But then a new fluttering is heard from the portal, and Ben Elim, by their thousands, begin emerging, immediately setting upon the Kadashim. Michael and Azrath struggle together, and is able to distract Azrath and the Kadashim from Cohen, who is doing her best to complete the ritual that will destroy the Starstone treasures. She just barely manages it, and as the last treasure is consumed by the cauldron, Azrath and Michael are frozen in place, their struggle doomed to be an eternal one before the broken treasures, as they are now turned into statues. The portal has now been sealed. The Ben Elim help the forces of good turn the tide of the battle and scatter the Kadashim and Kalidus's army. During the battle, both sides have taken great casualties. Kalidus is dead, as well as Makin, who before he was slain hunted down Lycos and got his revenge upon him, pinning him to a tree with knives and watching coldly as a few ants eat him alive before succumbing to his own wounds and dying himself. The book ends with the war-torn land agreeing to work together to rebuild and repair. The Ben Elim attempt to elect Corbin as their battle chief and ask for his help hunting down the now scattered Kadashim. 
Corbin says no, as he is tired of them controlling his life, and the book ends with him leading a small group off to restart at Grant's Hold, hoping to create a school that joins all the different warrior styles and combat techniques to train the next generation of warriors in the martial arts and help the forces of good fight evil for all time. Much has been lost, but much is still alive to be rebuilt, and hope, hope lives on. (laughs) (laughs) Though many do not live on. Many many people did not live on at all. Many people did not live on. Speaking of people not living on, I'd really like to start off our conversation here with what I think is one of the more interesting parts of the whole series uh, that like it ended okay, but like I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. And like, and I've talked at length about these two people, uh, pretty much every one of these episodes, but Nathair and Veratis. I have mixed feelings on like how that all ended up. What what are your thoughts on Nathair and Veratis? Okay, I liked their struggle of characters up to them. I, I really liked Veratis. Like Nathair was one of the most interesting characters for the first two books. For a little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, super, yeah. super interesting. And then as soon as he learns that he's like actually the Dark Star and he's like a bad guy and then just accepts it. And he's like, oh, whatever. It's like he just kind of accepts being bad and then loses kind of like all of my interest. He's no longer dynamic and interesting. He's just like a bad guy and knows it. Veratis, though, he manages to kind of keep my interest as he's totally faithful. He's like got a good heart the entire time. As soon as he learns this, he turns on Nathair, starts working for Corbin um, and kind of makes up to that side of things. And then they kind of, I don't know, Nathair was just... He was not my favorite like war leader or he was just kind of his all of his power and interest was he was just another general to me by the end of the book who the sure. Veratis kind of faces off and is like, hey, you sure that you want to be evil? And he was like, mar, 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 I'm still petty. And then like <laughs> tries to attack him and then they then he kills him. And it was just like, I don't know. It was it was a little anticlimactic. I'll call it that. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I, I agree with you, really. Like, I mean, because uh, Nathair was was like complex for a little while yeah. and, I, and then i think he kind of lost some of his complexity and like and it, it kind of just points to another thing with this series that i don't know it's kind of bugged me a little bit that like just the bad people are bad and the good people are good and yeah. there's really no even Veratis. or like <laughs> yeah no and that's that's the thing is like Veratis is another character who seemed complex but it's actually not at all not uh he was put into a complicated situation but him as a character like it's just it's just like i feel like all the characters are kind of on rails you know, yeah, and yeah. like the story changes a little bit, but like the characters are gonna, they're gonna do what they're gonna do and feel how they're gonna feel no matter what. And it's right. just like, I don't know, it, it just doesn't been... make for like very compelling stories. And then the endings, it's just kind of like, oh, Death. all right. Well, I, I mean, I'm not trying to rewrite the book or anything, I'm trying not to do that on this podcast, but I do think it would have been more interesting if Nathair had kind of, you know, thought about his situation a little bit more and like been yeah, a little like bit more Fidele conflicted about him. it. Yeah. Or and like, actually had a conversation. That would have been an interesting conversation. It would have like reflamed yeah, my interest into the like, there and him being like, oh man, struggle, struggle, struggle. Maybe I shouldn't. And then like, you know, he could get tortured by Calidus after he tries and, to go good or something, you know, and then decides to commit to bad again. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, in the episode previous, like specifically with regard to Nathair, like, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of built up that he does want a certain amount of power for good. And I, and I liked that, but it's like, at this point, it's like, dude, do you honestly think that like these like demons are going to get you there? Like, 
Like, it, right. yeah, I feel like he just kind of fell off a cliff a little bit, you know? Totally. He just gets used as a tool of Calidus. That's the thing, though, is like Gwyn paints such a vivid picture sometimes with some scenes <laughs> where it's like, I'm like really caught up in the moment sometimes. And I'm like, awesome. And then I like yeah. think about it a little bit more. And I'm like, wait, that was a little lame, though. Like, totally. but, it's, but like in the moment. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, this is crazy. Like this is <laughs> like this is crazy. And then yeah, and then it's just like a little, a little bit more thought. I'm like, wait, well, like the fair was kind of yeah. Yeah, whatever. I would say that the only, and I think this is a direct result of there just being too many characters. None of them mm. were bad, like you were saying. I totally agree with you. Some of them are undynamic and maybe just a little bit boring. But honestly, we didn't have time for them to be any more interesting because we don't we didn't spend enough time with characters each one as is let alone for them to be like more complicated and less simple you know because it, it would just i don't think you know this story would have been aided at all with more time with the same amount of characters if we had less characters like the same length of books but just longer chunks with certain characters that would have aided the story a lot but it was just watered down so i felt like the the real big feels were told to me and not felt by me yeah, I mean, like what would have worked, well, kind of like with, um, I, I know you never read the last Wheel of Time book, but um, in the last Wheel of Time book, not trying to spoil anything, but like it bounces around so much. Like it's just like, uh, like there's page breaks on so in, many of the, the pages. Way? No, in a really good way. Because oh, okay. like you were spending whole entire like 14, 15 page chapters with characters for like the entire series. And then at the, in the last book, it's like boom, 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 boom. And it like it like really ratchets up the intensity and the pace in the last book. And so these characters you spent so much time with and really gotten to know, now you turn up the volume and like turn up the pace and like make these like really punchy, like one page, like um, you know, they weren't chapters, but they were like page breaks. Totally. It would be like Egwene and then like, oh, now we're way over here with Lan and like now we're way over here with Rand and now we're way over here with Matt and like, but it was all like contained in like these small sections of, of like physical pages, you know, and right. I think that I think that with Wrath, I kind of got that feeling again, where it was like, it was just like over here, over here, over here. And it was really exciting. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was connected with these characters and it, it was still exciting. No, for sure. Totally. But it was just, it just didn't have, no, granted. No, to be totally fair, Wheel of Time is fourteen books long. So right, right, right. This is <laughs> I just, yeah. I just, just, but I am talking about like uh, I do think that Jordan though spent a little bit more time when he was with a POV with that POV. One hundred percent. In but fact, one just, could argue the opposite problem in the Wheel of Time. Right, it was like too much time with maybe, one yeah, of these characters. A lot of smoothing of skirts and a lot of uh, folding, <laughs> crossing <laughs> arms under breasts, and, and like well yeah, said. A lot, yeah, a lot of tugging at braids and stuff like. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's funny to complain about these books being so complicated when like really they're not. They're like very pretty no. simple. There's just so many things happening at the same time. And yeah. like I think the really I mean, uh, there could have been it's a war. Yeah, like I mean, it's a war I, thing. It's an Armageddon situation. Or like, dynamic endings though, right? Cuz like every hmm, bad guy just yeah. ends with like the only thing that we get kind of clever about a bad guy's ending is not necessarily the choices that they make at the ending, it's just like the way that they're defeated, which is like being yeah. eaten by ants, which is really cool but like horrific, you know. Well, I mean, I think that the way the jail satisfying. went out, yeah, the way the Revenge. jail went out was like pretty satisfying actually. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like like saying Castell's name over and over like that's pretty badass. Just slowly like sinking yeah, his that own like, dagger underneath his chin. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to ask you another question, though, and this is probably my most like like single eyebrow raised at the at the book <laughs> like thing. But like McKean and Fidele, they got done dirty. I don't think I've ever read two characters that I liked reading, but also felt so 
like I, those chapters felt so weird and like contrived and lopsided and like it was like the characters were so cool but the things that were they were actually doing and the things that were happening to them i was like what the hell is going on right now like this is so, such a mess like they were a little all over the place and like john Gwynn kind of has a weird reoccurring stylistic choice of having one character do the same thing over and over and over again in different books and different settings like fiddle every time she's like no we must stand and fight or we must go rush off and fight is like that is precursor to her getting captured like every time <laughs> like she's like ah, i need to go i feel useless back here at the back of the line she rushes into battle immediately gets captured by jl with a knife held to her neck and mckean's like oh man i was you know <laughs> though i will say she's pretty badass and that she manages to, like break his nose by like slamming her head back into his to like get away so she fixes that one on her own but when i really was like oh Oh, fiddle, come on. And I was like, she actually kind of McKean. disappointed. Yeah, when she Dude, drugged she, him. Yeah. I was like, I Man. That. like that all that yeah. guy wants to do is the opportunity to die for you. <laughs> like he wants to die. That would be the best yeah. out for him, you know? Yeah. And like, don't take that away from him. Come on, let him at least die for you. As opposed to finding your men all defeated like half yeah. a night later because he's stumbling through the woods trying to find you only to find out that once again you have fallen into Lycos's clutches it just seemed like kind of a dumb thing to do it was like, super it was dumb just, it's just and like very naivete she had a high level of naivete <laughs> trying to really I, get that word right <laughs> you're doing it you're doing a great job buddy <laughs> thank you thinking that Nathair could come back you know like come on one of the things that i i know like kind of like annoys readers a lot I don't mind it too much, but I, I know I've seen this is like one of the biggest complaints that a lot of readers have about books and stories and characters and stuff is like when a character makes a really stupid decision and you can kind of tell that that stupid decision was like it's like you want to give most authors the benefit of the doubt. But then also sometimes it's like like Corbin going out for some air. You know what I mean? It's just like, right. Really? Like, like that's a stupid decision. And it's like, you could do, we, we could go all day and just talk about like how, well, you know, like that battle was already won and like, he didn't think anybody was that close or like, whatever, you know what I mean? But, right, like, right, right. but, but like, also you shouldn't go out for air when you've just had like a, like that's silly. And, and it seemed like it was like, how do we get Corbin out in the open so he can get, right. you know? And like it, that kind of stuff doesn't usually bother me that much, but I can understand why, when readers are reading this kind of stuff, and I, I kind of got that same feeling with Fidelay drugging McKean too, or it's just kind of yeah. like this. It like, I guess you could kind of justify why this happens, but also like it feels so dumb, you know? Like, yep. Like it sets it up for like the sequence that happens. And it, but that's it's funny when you say that, it's like, yeah, it does set it up for the sequence of events that happens later, but it's like that's what all writing is. You know what I mean? It's like writing things down because they're going to have a consequence later. So it's like, it is, I understand that it is kind of like a balance. Yeah, this feels like a weird, like repeated math equation. Where yeah. It's like two yeah. plus two equals four. Like once again, Cohen is devout in her post of being like really only being good for like being captured and just allowed limited movement and freedom weirdly within the enemy's camp. So we can continue using her for the sole purpose of like getting a window into the enemy's camp from like a good guy's perspective. Like that is cohen's purpose throughout the course of these books get captured why didn't they just kill cohen like did they need i cohen? thought she would have like, been no no cohen lives no i know that but i, I meant in the beginning when cohen is captured oh they're so like they, watching those people get impaled and stuff yeah and one like, of the they keep trying to one of the katashim like wants to spike her but kalidus keeps preventing them being like no we might be able to use her as like bait for corbin i think my eyes he's kind of like keeps her as like a, and then 
It's kind of like because Calidus was like really determined to get Corbin. Yeah, yeah. He like every morning he yells a challenge to Corbin, like, you coward, another person's getting staked because you won't face me. And then like we get the screams of some poor guy getting staked, you know, or girl. Yeah, that was brutal. Man, it's funny because like in Dark Age, there's people being impaled too. So that was just oh, like really? a lot. Yeah, yeah. Remember, don't you remember? It was like a very small part of the chapter. It was like one of the 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 Mercury people. There's a, there's some staking going on. The Ash Lord. <laughs> Wait, no, not the Ash Lord. Wow, I'm butchering that so hard. Sorry, listeners. This is a total tangent. Uh, but <laughs> but in Dark Age, there's a part where uh, people are being impaled. And then when I was reading this, I was like, oh, more people being impaled. Like, holy shit. Like this is <laughs> yeah. Okay. A then. lot of impaling. Like, it's a terrible okay. way to go. Yeah, probably the worst. Uh, well. Probably not. We could go on about that for a while, but so there's a few <laughs> things in these books that like are very convenient, and I know that that's like in every fantasy novel. And in the past, I've kind of like wrote them off by being like, "Yeah, well, like you know, stories don't get written about the ones where like crazy things don't happen." And while I totally stand by that statement, and that's a great like way to justify kind of like wildly coincidental things happening in books, it's very coincidental in this book, like. The two ones that really come to mind is regarding the Starstone treasures. So mm. at the end of the third book, the jail, uh, is it jail? No, it's Wraith. Wraith is Wraith or Wraith? Wraith if is Wraith walking with an through. F. Yeah, like I think R-A-F-E. it's Wraith with the TH. I could be wrong. I don't know. One of I the two Wraiths. R A F E. Uh, there is a Wraith there's, also, though. There's a Braith with a B. Yeah, and then there's a Wraith and a Wraith. Oh my God, you're. <sighs> Go on. But it might Sorry. be Rafe. No. One of the one of the Rafe's Rafe's finds <laughs> uh, a starstone treasure just by like stumbling through a bog, and then like yeah. comes across like a sealed box that has like the goblet in it, and he drinks out of it, goes into a coma, and like wakes up like feeling great. Ten days later, that's very convenient. And then the next one is when Calidus is like in a rage inside of Drassil, about midway through this last book, Rafe. Uh, Wraith. Now I'm all confused. Wrath <laughs> through this last book, Wrath. He goes into like the like war room of Drassil and like flips a table and like throws a spear. And this whole time he's been searching the all of Drassil to trying to find like a hidden room supposedly that's in there where like the Starstone treasures were actually forged and there might be like some hints as to where the rest of them are hidden. I think they only have the. T- pork to find at this point and by flipping the table and throwing the spear out of anger that like releases somehow the hidden catch and like this like door (laughs) opens (laughs) and they go up and sure enough on the wall is like a big map of like where they hid all the starstone treasures originally you're like oh okay whatever sure and that's neither here nor there. I just kind of wanted to throw it out as like, I've got an eyebrow arched in that very convenient direction. One thing I do have a question for you on is I want your opinion on Corbin's incessant honesty. Okay, so Corbin learns at the end of the last book that like he is, in fact, not the Saren Disclayer, and Michael just made that all up, which really doesn't get resolved in any way in this book. Like, it doesn't even really get mentioned beyond my question to you here, which is as soon as Corbin gets freed from the giantings and re-meets up with his people, he like gets he doesn't like get a little group of people and he's like, hey guys, like you know that one thing holding all of our army together, like everyone believing me, the Serendiscalier, like, should I tell everyone that? Because that's like literally the glue, like everyone's motivation for keeping going. And like people can do a lot of things if they believe that they can do them you know it's like like there's a divine intervention element that they kind of have as like their their fuel for their fire that's like but we know because of prophecies and gods that the good guys win 
And Corbin, without consulting anybody upon getting back to camp, like gets up on a box and he's like, hey, everybody, I am not the Saren Disclayer. It was all a lie. There's like no reason that we hear out here. There's no divine. Basically removing, in my opinion, the glue holding them all together. And like, do you think that was a smart move or should he like continue to the lie going? It ended up um, working out for him, obviously. I, yeah, but like, I, besides that, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. I mean, it's hard in hindsight since things did work out to say whether or not it was like, totally. I mean, the scene literally ends with everyone being like, "Sarah and Disclare, so right. like, we don't care," you know. Uh, um, I think that Corbin's the kind of character who I don't think he. I think he's written in such a way, or we're supposed to read him in such a way that like he, having known the truth couldn't keep doing what he was doing because it would have felt like a betrayal. To okay. That makes sense him. to me. Like, that's kind of how I like, cause yeah, Cor Corbin is just like, he reminds me of like Aragon kind of, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like kind of an idiot with his like, like, like morally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just kind of, he's like, he, he's like this book's like Captain America. You know what I mean? Totally. Someone's uh, like, are there Jews hiding in your basement? He's like, can't tell a lie. Uh, yeah. like, Dude, <laughs> come on, man. Like, I think Corbin. That, I don't know. That it kind of it kind of routed him out a little bit. Like it. I mean, it didn't make him like that much more interesting. He's never been that interesting. But I don't know. Uh, he could have just kind it, of. It could have. It could have been a thing that wasn't acknowledged to the the masses or to the, you know not the masses, but like the people that were following him. But I think that it did kind of like I don't know. It pushed his character along a little bit. You know, it kind yeah, of solidified how he how he acts. And deals with stuff and it did actually end pretty emotional with everyone being like yeah. yeah but like that doesn't change the fact that like all of our homes have been destroyed by the forces sure. of evil and like we're still like that doesn't change really anything besides the like we lost this kind of um like hidden motivation that was kind of like esoteric and like maybe where there's a destiny at play here it was just like yeah that all went away but like everything else like the reality of the situation hasn't changed at all and sure. it was like actually a pretty emotional like moment where everyone was still like we're behind you corbin i liked it it was like king in the north kind of thing yeah it was very you know king what I mean? like, that's kind of the vibe that i got from it because i mean uh also like rob stark in song of west and fire is like he's so young that like a lot of the north the the northerners like don't take him super seriously until he's kind of like that's proved right. himself a little bit and once he's like proved himself like like if they had if and I'm talking about Simon and Fire here, obviously, but like if they had like supported him, if the Northern Houses had supported him just because he was Eddard Stark's son, that wouldn't have made like a ton of sense. But, uh, you know, like them, in spite of him being super young, going with him anyway, because of how he's uh, conducted himself, that was just kind of like the same vibe I got with like Corbin, where it was like, it was like, yeah, like they might have just followed him for the Saren Disclare thing, maybe initially, but he's proved his mettle at this point. And like you said earlier, it's like it it doesn't actually really change anything. You know what I mean? Or at right. least uh, in hindsight, it doesn't because like Elyon doesn't even show up, which I kind of wanted to ask you about that as well. That was OK. There's was... Like two things that are weird, like the Elyon not showing up at all. Kind of was I was like, that's weird. right. And then also AOL the entire series. And then Azroth and Michael like turning into statues like. Weird call, like weird call not expected that that was one of those moments where i was like okay but, uh, all right sure <laughs> like they're fighting each other forever like this seems like a, an issue between michael and azroth not elion and azroth yeah the two things about this book that are like in my opinion just 
don't aid the story in any way and in fact remove quite a bit from it are as mentioned the extreme amount of point of view characters and then this whole michael made up the Saren disc layer thing and so it like throws corbin into this weird like so it's all for nothing it's all lies like why did you even do this and then it would have been totally fine i don't really have a problem with that really but then it just like never besides people being like yeah no we're still going to follow you nothing really has changed for us like it never is dealt with again and so you're like okay well why did you lie and do all this michael and then he gets told at the end corbin at all yeah why did you even make this thing because and he tells him like well because we wanted to manipulate basically the forces of bad to use the starstone treasures to open a portal so we could protect you better by coming back into your land like why didn't you just like cut Calidus out and Michael, why didn't you lead Corbin around to get the Starstone treasures? Like right when he was born to open up the portal to like, like why did we have to, why did, why did you use evil to find and open this gate? It's just it's like weird to me that he would just do that. If the whole goal was to get the Ben Elam out, because certainly if his goal was to protect Elyon's like favored creation humans, they certainly like slaughtered hundreds of thousands. And like, why put them in danger? Yeah, to do um, that? in route to that goal, you know, it was yeah, just weird. It seems way kind to of accomplish it. Well, and like, I think one of the things that I'm not super clear on, and maybe you can explain this to me. I just didn't really get it through the text. Is like, in how much danger were Elion's favorite creation? Like, right? I don't, I don't understand. Like, it's like. Maybe like some. The only reason that like, they were in danger <laughs> was from the Benny Lim. <laughs> well, like, because uh, he's like, well, I want the Benny Lim to like come in here and like patrol, basically. You know, that's essentially like they're not here. I want them here uh, to protect everybody. Michael. And it's like, and it's, yeah, yeah, that's what Michael. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like. And it's like, okay, but like, from what though? Like, I mean, right. Like, and then he from... also has this weird thing where he like doesn't really care. About they're like kind of like flipping with the lives of humans at the end of the last book, and it seems like everybody they're gonna have this in this motivation. entire series is flipping with the lives of humans, dude. Yeah, like, straight like... up. <laughs> but yeah, he like mentions like the whole like um, straw soldiers that distracted Veratus, and he's like, yeah, yeah, the humans are kind of that, but it's like not really because the humans are like put in this weird position of like a distraction, so the Benny Lim can actually come in and then actually protect them. Like they're not that wasn't a very good analogy at all. I felt like at when we finally learned the the true planet which wasn't any deeper than they just wanted to be there standing next to them to protect them but by doing so also managed to bring forth all of evil to destroy them in one fell swoop i guess i don't know it seems weird and it's weird because like i feel like it would have been a lot more graceful if corbin had been like at the very end had been like i don't trust you guys because like your motivations don't make any sense to me kind of does kind that by rejecting of, their but offer he, to lead but, them but he's mostly just like i'm sick of you controlling to- to- me. that's all which is like really a doing. totally yeah. different thing like that's you're right and it's it's like it's like well you're not going to acknowledge like how weird and roundabout this entire situation has been like this is right weird like, like and it we would have barely pulled that one off guys we barely won and that was like <laughs> and how many your people died wouldn't, yeah and how many people and if you wouldn't have like now you're yes you are now in a slightly better position to defend us but like there's also untold number of kadashim that still need to be like hunted down that are like free to roam the lands and continue slaughtering so it's like it's it, it seems like the ben Elim were just like feeling kind of worthless and like created the scenario where the humans needed to be protected because they <laughs> super didn't before michael started messing around with destiny was was Calidus and company already were they did Michael know 
that Calidus was trying to find all of the Starstone treasures. The only that... reason that Calidus was like trying to do that was because of these. Right. I know. I'm trying to like so... find it out here. Like, <laughs> yeah, me too, dude. But like, yeah, no, he started the whole thing off, and it yeah, seems like yeah. so weird. Like, why wouldn't he just? get some why wouldn't he like go get together with gar back in the day when he like formed the jihar and be like hey guys as opposed to like helping the bright star forget that whole thing you guys are going to be the like find the seven treasures people sure. and yeah. you're going to like open the portal so we can totally avoid the whole kadashin coming over we'll just pull the benny limb over we'll avoid this whole war if that's the goal truly you know dude, it was honestly like i would have been totally fine with corbin being chosen actually by me Elyon. too like I, I i we didn't need to do any of not like, at all it just got like, and that's weird. just my personal preference as a reader but like prophecies aren't trying always to bad Trump. like prophecies are actually okay like it's, totally. it's fine like I, I don't mind it like especially like i mean yeah because okay so i think that one of the main complaints about prophecies is that like it kind of like puts the story on rails you know what i mean right right uh, but like there is a destiny behind everything happening yeah but you can play around with that without like completely negating like the entire thing after like two and a half books totally um, but i mean I, I feel like it was done for more like shock and awe and then to kind of subvert that the trope but in doing so just made less sense as for the whole story i was like i was literally expecting elion to show up like me I, too and I, that was like I was like disappointed. I was just like, Me "Oh, too. it's pretty lame." That like, is he even real? You know what I mean? I don't like, know. is this is, is Michael not... like him? Because like, it doesn't. You think it would be like about that? Yeah, Elion and um and Azroth like yeah. struggling together in eternal statue mode. But like, no, it was like Michael and them. So like, is Elion even real? I don't really know. I like the theory that Ele that Michael is Elion. Yeah, that just kind of popped into my mind, but like, so like I, why wouldn't I he don't know. He's certainly not all good. <laughs> so that that whole thing, and then like the statues, I was like, just really underwhelmed. Like I was, I don't know. I just, I guess it's, I guess it kind of works in the sense that like it wouldn't make sense for Michael to like kill azroth like with like a knife or something right, I guess. right. like, like is it, he it, defeating like all of evil now? right like, if, like, like if i was like if i was writing these books and i was writing the climax i would be like how can i avoid like putting a knife into satan you know what i mean like I, the, right right make up statues make become a tree silly. or something yeah but it's still kind of underwhelming just kind of like after all of that and then it's just totally like, yeah there's statues now i didn't even put this like the details of calidus's death into the recap but i want to go over them now because they're a little odd but i i, I do kind of like it but earlier in the book corbin goes into the spirit realm and he like plops out like plinks into spirit realm existence and we never really learned the mechanism how corbin like goes in and out of the spirit realm he just like tries hard sometimes and then he shows up well, and he's also there. like kind of like invited into it at one point too i think like yeah like um and then he like ran magics him in there one time with like a potion so there's different ways you can get there i guess so he pops into existence in front of this questionable character named Viathan, who's in the spirit realm, who seems extremely powerful and keeps referring to himself as the eater of souls. And then he gets saved by the Ben Elim. And then later, Corbin meets up with Calidus into the he like basically drags 
drags Calidus into the spirit realm and wondering what to do with Calidus. He's like, what should I do with you? And then he's like, and he like defeats Calidus and Calidus is like, you know, sniveling on the ground in front of him being like, no, like we can like maybe work together and stuff. And Corbin's like, nah, man, not even at all. And then he like basically just like whoops him all the way up this river and arrives at this lake that he popped into existence that he knows can contains this soul eating viathan creature and then he like calls out like hey viathan <laughs> this is like one of the craziest sentences you've ever said in your life like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, i'm just and like then, trying to listen to like an outside observer almost <laughs> like it's the, the things it's that you're silly. saying sorry guys so he sorry, calls out that. hey viathan. <laughs> viathan shows up and he's like are you hungry and viathan's like for a soul of course <laughs> and then Calidus is his, his broken form is given to viathan and Calidus is like no like obviously that's like one of the worst things that corbin could like stumble into uh for having be his fate and then he's like Calidus is basically like given to this viathan person and taken away into the swamp i guess to have his soul eaten and that's how he he goes which seemingly is like a pretty nasty death like it was cool as a way that he didn't just get like knifed and killed it was like oh no he got some real good comeuppance but like who the hell is viathan like is there like a neutral party in the spirit world like this whole spirit world place and concept is super confusing to me is there actually good and bad or is it just like a names places who what when sort of situation is there other creatures that don't represent either one of the good or bad parties? Cause at first we kind of think it's like a two party system in the spirit realm. There's like good and bad, but then there's like Viathan who's like bad, but also like maybe just a trickster more like Loki, you know, like not like good or bad, but kind of a little questionable sometimes and eats souls from time to time, I guess maybe he's Elion. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Those kinds of sequences, not even just in this series, but in most books, like I just always kind of, tune out a little bit like whenever there's like a dream sequence or like this other dimension sequence or like it's like there's not enough time to like explain like what's actually happening and it's just like this ambiguous kind of like what the fuck was that like kind of thing and it's just and it sucks because sometimes those things are really important but yeah for me i don't know man like i think but i agree with you that calidus's death was like uh not, it was like it was like kind of satisfying yeah like, yeah but also, okay yeah, i was I just know. thinking to myself like how does corbin get into the spirit realm again and i forgot <laughs> he dies he dies at the end of this book corbin dies at the end of this book and is in the spirit realm gives viathan it's like a, to it's like a harry Calus. potter thing like it's totally. like a, yeah it's like... and he's like hey viathan i'll teach trades him he's like hey i'll trade you like my living body again like can you make me live if i give you this soul and viathan's like oh for sure and then calidus gets dragged off and corbin then wakes up after getting like gutted and he's like i'm back yo and then like everyone lives happily (laughs) i totally forgot about that but yeah he dies and then viathan i guess who has control over life and death and can make deals i guess with souls and stuff so maybe he is elian i have no idea who this Viathan character like, is. Why but... not? Uh, see, like, yeah, the theory works, kind of. But kind like, of, but, but it's like, like weird but, that he lives but in a do swamp. All these people, a but, swamp dweller. But like, do people on either side, like, share this space? You right. know what I mean? Like, that. that's what, it's like sometimes they're in there, sometimes they're not. Do they, are they like segregated? You know what I mean? Are they like, totally. I don't understand. And like, when McCain and Fidele are together in the in the afterlife or whatever, is Fidele's husband there? You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. They see each other and he like drops his <laughs> like, sword and it becomes part of the bridge. And 
he like runs across and they 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 hug. But yeah, where's her husband? Is it weird? Some weird threesome? Uh, yeah, his name was his name was Aquilus. Like that guy Aquilus was totally king. married and like in love with Fidele. You know what so I mean? Right. Like 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 is he just like oh I didn't the know while I was dead you guys like got together like that's great I guess like I was just here <laughs> waiting for you you know like I I'm so glad you brought your new squeeze into the spirit realm. Fidele. Yeah, the spirit realm stuff just like definitely, and that's what I mean by like tuning out is just I just ugh, it's it's like. There's too many. It's like the the plot's moving too fast, and there's too many questions for this. So, it's like in. I mean, it really is like in Deathly Hollows when Harry goes to platform nine and three quarters, and he's just like like ghost Harry kind of, and like Dumbledore's there, but they're able to have like this this like totally like corporeal experience with each other, <laughs> and then like there's like this weird Voldemort like baby thing, and like right, right, and like it's just like this weird kind of like it's like representative like, of the hork crux and harry right it's, it's like that's yeah, yeah but it's but it's like that scene in like the matrix reloaded where like they go into that room with like all the tvs in it you know and it's just like totally, this kind totally. of like nonsensical like incoherent conversation of like <laughs> i guess all this makes sense we're kind of at the end of this now so vis-a-vis, like, ergo vis-a-vis. <laughs> but i feel like that with like the spirit realm in this series where it's like the momentum of everything that's happening in like the real world it's kind of like pushing like all the questions that you have like in the moment kind of like outside but then by the time you finish it you're just like well what about all this other who was that like what like where did where did he take Calidus? you know what i mean like yeah he drug him away but like like ate his soul like where does his soul go he's in the soul realm i don't know yeah like um but that's i can't i guess it's kind of nitpicky but like i don't know not really (laughs) <laughs> like totally. i want to know those things <laughs> and also i think you know like um if you've watched firefly i've only seen a couple episodes of it i need to watch all of it oh man i mean there's only one yeah. season and it's just so good it's like classic it's really like classic. cozy yeah one of the writers in there has a uh, a really like brilliant line and he says i forget the name of the bad guys that he creates but basically there's this scourge of um like deep space living uh bad got baddies who have like become cannibals and they're like everyone is terrified of these like insane space people and and the writer um of the firefly said said they're the best enemies that he never created because you never actually see them Mm, yeah they're always just like around and everyone's terrified when they are and that sort of bad guy has so much power like this, like y- you can't see it or quantify it. You can't stab it with a sword. You can't fight it really even. It's just fear incarnate. Hmm. And as soon as Azroth joins the scene and like pops out and starts fighting people and what in book two or something, he like Corbin gets taken in front of Azroth. I don't know. That was know. a pretty cool Azeroth scene, lost. by the way. It was that, was, cool. that was a pretty cool scene. I liked it. It was cool, but it was just like he just lost all sorts of power you know like it's like when um, kylo ren takes his mask off in the first uh or not the yep, first but in, yep. in episode seven you know i don't know it just doesn't I, it, no it I, removes I, their power i, I understand 100 percent what you're saying like i i think it would have almost been better if azroth had never been involved if they're not going to involve elion and if they are going to involve azroth it would have been cool if elion showed up and there was like this giant god battle in the sky or something like that totally but like going like that halfway in it kind of like neuters azroth a little bit like yeah he's just like like, okay just like a tough baddie well and see that's the thing um speaking of tough baddies i want to talk about the giants a little bit okay so like the reason i say the tough baddie thing is like i feel like the the giants were just kind of like just bigger humans you know what i mean 
yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. that, I think that the, what was cool about the Giants is that they seem to have like a much more thorough understanding of the Banished Lands and the Starstone Treasures, and like they just seem to like be a little bit more competent with like the information that they had, totally. uh, which I liked a lot. I thought that was really cool. I do think we could have maybe, I don't know, like they, I feel like they could have just been cooler. You know, like at the end of the yep. day, like they go down pretty much the same way as like humans do. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, yeah, you get cool right, and like, he just what's... jumps up on their back and slits their throat exactly. left and right. Yeah. You know, it's like she's tiny, but she's like small and effective. <laughs> I would I want to ask your feelings about Alcyon, though, because I think we had talked about Alcyon. And it's interesting yeah. that it kind of like it really did turn out how we had planned Alcyon. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, like and another thing that I really like about Alcyon is like the dynamic between him and Veratis is really cool too because like they had always been a little tight you know like they'd always seem to have like this kind of like unspoken understanding with each yeah. other and i really liked they in see the good in each book. other yeah sort of thing. i liked seeing them interact and, and deal with stuff together when they both kind of like had stuff on the line and just i don't know i just i liked i, I think i liked alcyon like in every book and i it would have been cool to like have some dedicated like alcyon chapters throughout this entire series you yeah know, uh, and it's like alcyon and nether should have had chapters not, yeah not yeah. like not like took and like that uh yeah like took like why does took have chapters you guys so, and more to your point like the dragon or the dragons the the giants were very much in this book they were a big part of it but like sure. kind of like they also could have been like totally removed from the book and like eh, besides being like the standalone people or the stand-in for like people who know things about this country's past and like are responsible for all the ruins and stuff they weren't really that important like, yeah they turned the tide of a couple ba battles but like showing up surprisingly just being like we decided to fight for good here's all a bunch of like giants yeah. on bears you know it was like a cool idea but i don't know they just kind of felt like underused a little you know so i don't know if you want to talk about this uh because it's pretty it's kind of kind of messed up but i thought it was pretty cool uh especially because we had we saw ants in the first book but like Lycos yeah. being devoured by ants and not and like Nathera's like half of his army. It, that was like one of the cool. I mean, like Lycos in particular because of like the what happened with him and Fidele. I was like, this is really satisfying because like that made me cry, he, dude. It was really intense. I just <laughs> like, Makin like he just gets just short end of the stick every time that he finally finds love and like actually like while it was a little yeah. weird that they have this weird love and like you know who no, gets Fiddle in the spirit realm i did fine. like yeah. their progression but that was more characters. of a joke than anything like i think that but it's still kind of weird you know like, yeah but yeah when she sacrifices herself like for him like oh, yeah. it maybe yeah. hit me in the feels i know man that's it's really yeah. brutal so i did really like that but like i don't if i was writing these books i don't know if i would have had them both die like we really get no old guard living no we like gar makin brenna yeah. like oh yeah all brenna died i forgot about that too yeah yeah we just kind of need like another sad event to, to culminate you know what did you think about brenna dying yeah, it was again like it felt a little lackluster to me i'm just lackluster like, yeah, yeah like, I, don't know. I agree that like if you were to say like should she have died at the beginning i would have been like yes but then like the way it all happened, she didn't really die for a purpose. Like she dies, but like Cohen's right there to finish the the incantation mm -hmm. to destroy the. And it's like it was just kind of like a a final way that Calidus can be like a bad guy. Sure. Like his final comeuppance was to just kill her and be like ha ha ha. And you're like oh darn that sucks and like we're, we'll all like cry about it. And it was sad, but 
I think it almost might have been more powerful if she would have like lived on and gone back to her cottage or something, you know, and like been the wizened old lady in the forest once again, you know. Uh, I'm gonna change gears just a little bit here, but sure. um, I, I typically don't really, I don't really weigh in too much on romance very much when we're reading like epic fantasy and stuff like that. But I will say. I think Veratus and Cohen just being hinted at is really lame because of the amount that they thought about each other. Like, it, it's like, yeah. just pull the trigger on that, man. Like, why not? Just like the world's ending. Like, it just, it just seemed weird and like, I want to say like a little prudish almost where it was just like, can we just have these characters smash? Like, that'd be really right. cool. Like, like, I get it not happening when Cohen was still and captured. Like, she was captured. She shouldn't have I'm been just falling saying, in love like Radis. They no, should have no, had I'm like an Arya Gendry moment. They should have found a play, a, yes. a broom closet or something. You know what I mean? Totally, like, totally. I, that I didn't end that... in one like poisoning the other with like sleeping pills. <laughs> <laughs> like Makin and Fidele. But you know, you know what I'm saying though? It's just kind of like... 100%. Like, it's like Gwyn can obviously do a pretty fairly compelling romance. I mean, like Fidele and Makin was like believable it was cool he does struggle romance well two people going through hardship sure. and bringing him closer yeah but like romance like, i don't know like let's just <laughs> let's throw like i mean because like Veratus kind of like rides up and he's like hey i want to join you guys you know what i mean and it's like <laughs> totally like <laughs> and it's like it's just kind of imp implied really like i mean yeah, it's, shown, I mean, like, it's shown a lot more through like how they you know they're thinking about each other a lot right but more I, I would argue more Veratus is thinking about cohen more <laughs> than cohen is thinking about Veratus. Uh, probably yeah because he was like free most of the time that they were hanging out and she was like but it's captive, still happening you know? yeah it's still happening totally. but um i don't know what do you think did you, you agree it was all right you know i mean the yeah. story was fundamentally like not a romance sure that's a really good point yeah did i have a problem with him throwing it in there no it, did it seem a little forced sometimes? Yeah. Could it have been better used since it was thrown in there? Totally. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, because yeah, even yeah. In, the, in like the second book, when Cohen is taken by Nathair's forces or Rin's forces, I should say. I don't even remember at this point. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. Is it Rin's forces? And Veratus is yeah, just Rin like, and Calidus and Veratus yeah. is like, man, I admire this girl so much. Like just her <laughs> her her tenacity, her totally. gumption, you know, or whatever. And I felt like I was just like, okay, like you, of course, like sure. our character falls in love immediately with like the only other girl around right now. So <laughs> yeah. sure. But then like, it actually the exact same as Corbin's love interest, who has like the same name also. Like you know, maybe maybe it's because I'm reading Dragonlance right now but like uh, if you think that there was some insta love happening in these books you should go read Dragonlance because oh yeah wow there are people that know each other for like a day and they're like <laughs> madly in love with each other like it's like fate Gilthanas and Silvara if anybody's curious about who I'm talking <laughs> about um but yeah I think uh maybe my maybe I'm a little bit uh desensitized to it because I've been reading Dragonlance but jaded from insta love yeah insta love is a weird trope like, it is a weird trope because I think I, it, it's kind of cool sometimes, uh, but it's also and you know what? And it's not it's not totally unrealistic too because people do really get really infatuated with each other really quickly in real quickly. life. Like that's a thing. Like so, I'm not ready to like throw that out the window. But when I was reading the end of this, I just I just I don't know. I just wanted them to like really get together instead of like totally. Me. We didn't really me. get. And now I'm with you. We didn't really get like a satisfying love ending like we have Coraline and corbin and they're like obviously together cool uh everybody couples up in like yeah a very, everybody, yeah you know and then like 
the one that I the really didn't like Sorry. was <laughs> all of a sudden Brenna when she loses like the old guy oh, Heb or whatever. Heb. Oh my gosh. Where yeah. she, all of a sudden she's like maybe like the had saddest a thing, thing that's him. ever happened in the entire yeah. series. Like, what, or yeah, like I, I thought that, that you guys were like barely acquaintances, but I guess he was like your magic buddy that you were in love with, I guess. Like that was the one that I really didn't feel. Um, oh, speaking of love, one of the things that I really did like love was b- the survivor of the series, Budai, the dog yeah. who ends up mating with Storm, Storm. and producing a bunch of puppies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that I, was pretty cool. <laughs> I'm so glad Budai was just like around. He gets with the wolf in <laughs> Storm and ends up Hell creating. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. And then there's another, like, you know, again, there's just so many little teeny scenes that, like, weren't mentioned to be thrown into the recap or anything. And I don't honestly remember who this little guy is king of. Maybe he's king of the place that um, Corbin and company escape to in book two. There's, like, a king that escapes. They get up to his land. I forget where it is. It's a it's a done a cell something and then they like escape up there and then he sets off to go get cohen back i believe and do all that and then that that land gets taken over by veratus who's still working for Nathera at the time and there's like a king that boy king that escapes with adana mm-hmm. and i'm pretty sure that that boy king is the one who does this but he, he pulls a really cool move at the end when Nathera's trying to leave he finds there's like a, a, a like a, a nest of dragons that they find in the forest at the end of like these tunnels and this little boy king like via what is he oh he steals one of their eggs and then goes running toward he goes running basically into the middle of Nathair's like fleeing army and then like right before he gets hit by Nathair's army that's running away with these three huge dragons pursuing him with the egg, he <laughs> throws the dragon into Nathair's like army and then like veers off sideways. And then Nathair's army gets like crunched with these dragons. It was a pretty cool scene. Again, another really cool scene from a character that I felt really distantly connected to. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, no which, it. oh. it's, that's... <laughs> like right now, I cannot remember if he's that boy king or if he's the boy king that escaped with uh, Makin way back when he got to the first town was it Mackeen? yeah it was Mackeen and his sword brothers from the gadry that uh right. helped that the boy king the escape book. Too. yeah yeah i don't know if it was that boy king or the one that was up north with idana i don't know <laughs> um I, I wanted to get your get your take on the starstone treasures um man like it seems like just the cauldron and like the goblet to a certain extent but like what do the other ones like do do yeah, I don't really like they know. I, I felt like that was kind of like a missed opportunity. Like the spear opens all hidden doors if you throw it angrily in a room. <laughs> <laughs> what I was what saying though is like we got all of these. I, I think it would have been pretty cool to like actually locate them if like all the factions kind of like did have one and they were like useful. They had like powers and stuff. And yeah, like, like the torque like, was actually like other it, other than just long life. They, well, yeah, but like they like they. They just, I feel like they're just there to be collected. You know what I mean? Totally. I, I understand that they do do things. Like, I'm not saying they do nothing. Right, drink from the cup, it makes not, you, like, heightened. It's not really, like, utilized as much, you know what I mean? No. Like, or at least as much as I, I feel like it could have been. They, they mostly are just there to be collected. They're MacGuffins. They're, like, it, it's funny, too, because I, I think we talked about this in the, in the episode before this, but, like, uh, there's, like, this part 
where I think it was in like the beginning of the third book when they're up in, in um dom domain and uh they're <laughs> they're like they've got the cauldron and they're like, All right, let's use this thing and they're like, Ah, we gotta have all the stuff. We gotta have all of them. Yeah, and then somebody's, them, yeah. somebody's like, Why is it like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and like, I think I mentioned that I think that's called lampshading, though. It's like when the author like kind of nods to the audience is like, I know that's kind of stupid, but like, right, right. I'll, I'll have one of my characters, I'll have one of my characters kind of like say how stupid it is, and then like we can move like, on together. Alcyon for a good chunk of these books is like fighting with a starstone axe, and it's just like a regular axe that he's fighting around. Whereas like the the cup, you drink from it, and like Wraith has like sure. basically height. He becomes like Daredevil who doesn't lose his vision. He like has heightened senses because like long life he's like all strong super reflexes and stuff but like so that was kind of cool but did they use that to then like create an army of heightened reflexes people no just like a couple generals who could like move fast so makin could have some like actual like battles um people could actually face off against him but like alcyon should have been going into battle with like a axe that stole the light from the room or sure, just like this yeah, you know that like yeah. just electrified people or had a flaming sword or something other than just like or something like need to some get them together yeah exactly yeah. cause a storm yeah like yeah. or else they're just MacGuffins. Uh, totally. yeah i mean it kind of reminded me of that guitar honestly yeah like, yeah like, yeah we're like on this laundry list I mean, of like collecting it really stuff. is similar to that guitar in that <laughs> yeah. there, is a, there is literally a cauldron a cauldron yeah, yeah. Um, so. and like Let's not forget that the entire reason that Elion apparently is absent without leave is because like he allowed the Starstone treasures to like be come into existence in the first place. And that started the whole like first war between the giants and the men, I think. And then he was like, Man, I'm really sad about that. I'm leaving. Which is funny because I would totally read about that. Like, yeah, that's yeah, that's let's get one of those. Man. Like I would I if if John Glenn was like, I'm writing a series about like the Starstone treasures and like these big wars and stuff, I'd be like, all right, let's see Dude, it. That sounds pretty the, cool. Like that sounds a lot cooler. The only than this. cool, <laughs> like giant, like battle that we got was like the first one where the second book. There, yeah, it was, it was the second book. Yeah, where he invents yeah. the shield wall and like withholds. Oh no, that was the, the first book. Yeah, right. no, that, that was, first that was yeah. the first book. That was a it cool scene. It the like drag rush, super yeah. cool scene where you get yeah. these like oh it's like mountain. You're like awesome. We're gonna have some really cool battle fights, and then. With the with the giants, and then like that's really the only time that we see them like actually be awesome in battle, besides like coming to the aid in a battle that's already like going, you know. Yeah, like I lost track multiple times of like exactly what the Starstone treasures were. Yeah, and where they're at. Yeah, and like what they even what kind of weapons they even were. Totally, and there's like this whole like sub arc I didn't even touch on, which is like when Calidus goes to find or no, excuse me, when Lycos goes to find the Torque up on the island near where Alcyon like grew up or whatever and there was like this island that like nobody was allowed to go on because dark magic lived there turns out there was like some like fabled long lost clan of giants living in that like enclave and the like one of them again we just didn't have enough time with these characters for me to even kind of understand what their purpose was but they show up at the end and I think that the like queen of them what was supposed to unite all like apparently at one point all of the giant clans were united under one and like that clan has been like holding out in this little cave on this island for like a certain time to like come back into existence and reunite all the giant clans which is like kind of like vaguely mentioned actually happens at the end because the giants come and help when before they weren't going to there's, and a, like, there's a little bit of unification going on like totally sorry it's not just, to interrupt you but no like, no it, you're it, good it's just so confusing 
Isn't it only like two clans in in the, in this book that kind of like put aside their differences? Yeah, I think the other ones get destroyed. Oh yeah, maybe maybe not. I don't know because there's the Jotun at the end who are like the big biggies. There they got the they got the bears. They're the bear riders. And then I know that there's kind of like I know Alcyon is like the last of his crew, but I think the last of his clan. But I think the giants that they find on this island are like long lost his clan, maybe. Mm. And like a member of his clan was supposed to unite them, and that kind of happens. There's like this weird like giant sub unification plot that's like very not gone into very deep uh so you know again this this story is littered with cool characters it's littered with cool storylines it's littered with cool arcs all sorts of great things it's just littered it's just, there's too many and yeah, i can't is a really good word for it i can't yeah. focus on any one of them and so they all kind of lose their weight because i'm just kind of over here struggling to pick up all these pieces to the jenga tower but i can't possibly hold them all together you know yeah i mean I, f- I feel like you know as we start kind of wrapping up and giving our final thoughts on on this series like i th- i don't think i'm going to reread this i i would definitely recommend it to people though that really like uh battles and really like yes. epic fantasy and really like uh, lots and lots of characters, like big uh, casts of characters, and more of an ensemble kind of situation. Would you, know, you like if if you compare want... it to Game of Thrones? Would you put it no. in that sort of realm? No, no me I wouldn't. I wouldn't compare it. Um, that's just me personally. I I don't know what I would really. Yeah, I, I want to say almost like Canius, just because I was like equally confused going through Maybe, those books. Yeah. I read a Reddit post that made me laugh that was like, "This is like Roy Canius all over again." Because yeah, complaining I mean, about all the cows, like, oh. <laughs> I think that I have a lot of similar complaints about this that I do with like Canius. Like, chief among oh, those is just me having like kind of a general like lack of immersion and sense of place, like while I'm reading yep. it, and then and like being told growth, not shown it. I think that this series makes a lot more sense than Lycanius. I think James yeah. Islington was like way more ambitious than. Can you imagine if there's time travel in this? Oh my exactly. Gosh. Like, I mean, just saying, like, like <laughs> James Islington was fo- like, not saying that John Gwynn wasn't tackling some good themes here. I mean, like, the idea of like the greater good and like what that really means and, you know, like, like what is the line of like how many people we can sacrifice for? Like, it's a, it's a good thing to explore. I, I think it's really totally. cool. Um, and I think he did a pretty good job at it. I mean, I think with Lycanius, uh, Islington seemed to be trying to explore the ideas of determinism or like free will. Um, you know, that was that was really cool too. But I think both series just it's just it's throwing a lot of mud at the wall to try to get a picture formed. You know, yes. like it's it's a lot. It's so it's like I think yeah. I, I think that this four book series would would have been a pretty awesome trilogy. Like I think yes. it would have been a very good trilogy if it had had few fewer POVs, um, but then again too. I mean, like you know, I'm an author. A lot of people listening are authors. Like this is the vision that John Gwynn had to the point that he wanted it published, and um, totally. And they're you know, wildly like, successful. It, and it, I mean, it also I can kind of understand it being four books in the sense that. A lot of these skirmishes, like it's like, it's like this is not just a regular war. Like this is, so there's like that whole aspect of it too. Because every time I'm like, or is it? Well, I mean, what I'm <laughs> what I'm what I'm saying though is like, it's this is like a, a god war. You know what I mean? Like right. this is there are there are a lot more. There's a lot more at play here than just like a border skirmish or like a right. Every faction is involved. Like, there has to be a lot of fighting with this and there has to be a lot of like maneuvering and 
and all of that. So it, like, it makes sense that there's so much of it, but it did start to feel a little bit like repetitive, you know, like, it's just like, here's another fight. People get captured. Yep. Here's another fight. There's people, everybody dies except for like all of the antagonists, you know, here's another yeah. fight. Like, you know, we just lost a character from the first book. Uh, we have some cool, then- like, things like 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 um tactics being used like the shield wall we got um our um, archer groups for the first mm-hmm. time you know we've got some flanks some hammer anvil some surprises some betrayals the ants um but the, it hay, the hay warriors at the top of that hill the hay warriors yeah, yeah you good. know yeah. um but it was like just enough because there's a lot of battles in these books and i felt like they could have been a little bit more like if we're gonna battle let's battle battle you know like let's i don't know let's get a little bit deeper into it like in my opinion the entire last book could have and kind of should have maybe been that last battle maybe hmm, interesting. You know, like if we're gonna battle let's battle all the way yeah um I, I feel like with this with this series it was like i would i would be pretty stoked on it and i'd be reading some cool stuff and then i would get really bored for like a while even with yep. battles and stuff like that and right then, because they weren't dynamic enough they were just like and, okay we've been here and then as it's almost like as soon as i was like should i call chad and say we shouldn't read <laughs> I, would, I would read another chapter that was just like damn that was a banger like that was right. crazy like that was so cool and then i would be kind of like it was like i was like in a desert like just limping to, through into a, different oasises you know what i mean and i was like oh hell totally. yeah like i'm here like this is so cool. yeah and then it would just be like another kind of like sloggy bit um, tumbleweed desert yeah but i mean I don't know. Like I've mentioned this on a few episodes now. And like, I think that maybe um, like I've read a lot of epic fantasy. Chad's read a lot of epic fantasy. We're about to start reading Malazan, which I think is like a whole yeah, different bag are. of worms. Uh, hat, hat worms. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. But I am definitely like a little bit fatigued, I think with like, and and, I, and this brings me to like my main issue with the entire series and this is purely a personal taste thing i'm not saying it was a bad idea to write it this way or objectively bad or anything like that but i really take issue took issue while reading with just the sheer amount of bloodshed in this series like it's just it's it's egregious it's, like it's, it's egregious. so much and i and it's like and it's just the way that the characters feel about it or the lack thereof, you know, like, yeah, the, the, I just, it's just something about it. Like, I just don't like it. Like, I just don't like all of these battles and all of this death and all of these swords plunging and, and <laughs> like impaling and just screaming and dying and just like, and then we've got like these kind of like, other like dopey chapters where like birds are cracking jokes and like i don't know Holy. like it just seems it's and just there's like, and, like these like kids are like in love with violence. each other's and yeah there's yeah and and like you said in an earlier episode there's some tonal issues where you go from like almost like a like a young adult like adventuring while like struggling and running and then all of a sudden someone's like tortured and killed eaten by bears and then like some like very graphic explicit so and it's like there's a certain sexual level of assault sexual like, assault yeah there's a certain yeah. level of violence that like adds to the story, makes it more visceral, pulls you in emotionally. Yeah, I'm not saying it shouldn't be that there at all. Yeah, I'm not saying turns that. you off, kind of. You totally. know that, like, 
it harms it. It's more like a comedian who swears too much. And you're like, you're just now you're using it as a crutch. And and also it's an inappropriate one, kind of, I think. I think that's a good way of putting it. It's like watching a stand-up comedian use the F word in yeah. like, like, tw- like two times a sentence. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And it's just like, dude, oh man, you are really this is a lot. Like this is it's a lot a of lot. This. and it's repetitive. So and it's like sudden. Yeah, very sudden. Um, but yeah, that, you know, that like, just works. Like in the background, there's a staked person just screaming his brains out, and you're just like, man, <laughs> like I get it, but still, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about too, because like Malazan is really messed up. Like there's a Real bunch of horrible up. things happening in those books, but it just feels different for me. Like it's just it it's a different. different vibe for me, and like even with um, like uh, Abercrombie stuff. Like there's a lot of killing. There's a lot it's of fighting in those. But it's just, killing. but it's like it's just it's it's the lens that you're looking at it through. It's the perspective. It's what's being thought. It's what's being said. It's it's how people are reacting to things. You know, right. it's the context. It's the setting. It's it's so, there's so much that goes into it. And I feel like with Faithful and the Fallen, it's almost like this taken for granted thing. Like it's almost like this. It's like a given that in this battle. 50 people are going to get murdered with swords right. like that means something you know what i mean like 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 dying from being impaled with a with a sharp piece of metal Oof. like that's and doing that hundreds of times in a book it just feels weird to and me and there's like a few times where corbin and company or dath or somebody's like man i'm really just like killing a lot of people and then he's like oh well and then like gotta do what i gotta that's do how it feels. and then he's just like yeah. scalping people the next one like collecting you're like what like <laughs> yeah and with like no irony to it no edge no to it, like no anything so like the, i mean that is my i think I think that's for me personally like i don't i didn't really like the the multiple point of views and like all that stuff like i can take most of it um, for me, it was just kind of like the banal, like just endless, yeah, the non-story eating violence. Yeah. But I guess it makes sense because of the nature of this kind of war. I'm not saying that, I'm not trying to sound like naive and like idealistic, and it was just he, oddly lighthearted yeah. in juxtaposition. Yeah. Sometimes, sure, I think that's know? a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. And then I, I will say as finally, like my my final, and I know I've mentioned this before, but just to kind of put a period on the sentences, I really feel like there's a series of, and again, I think this stems back to them just being too many characters for us to spend the enough time for me to feel the growth we get Veratus who goes from like young kind of like unblooded like helper friend to Nathair who like is swearing his allegiance as like brothers they're both young to like this wizened like master strategist known of his men can like fight him one on one battle in book two uh, you get the crows who go from nothing to full on sentient creatures we get Cohen who by the time she's leading the escape from Drassil she's throwing like vials of like oil onto Kadashim and like muttering words under her breath and lighting them on fire it's like she's got like spells I guess she learned those with Brenna when she was like escaping through the woods and she was learning to heal but still it seems like man she's got like entire incantations memorized I guess you know, uh, Corbin, he wasn't so much unearned growth. He did like train every day. He did the dance and stuff like that one was I feel that one, um, though, him taking out like Sumer, eh, you know, that guy yeah. did that for like oh, 50 years. Like, yeah, you know, totally. Corbin's been doing it for six months. Like, I don't know. And he's not chosen by Elyon. There's and he's nothing, not he's right. Just some dude. And I he's think that's just what, some dude. <laughs> and like, and I think that that's like another thing, too, that kind of like irked me about that whole like this prophecy not even right. being a real thing it's like well that would have really aided along like how 
amazing Corbin is. Right, your story made like, sense. You had an out. Like, yeah, but now it's just like he's just like this like nineteen year old who's like <laughs> the, literally the best swordsman in the world for no reason. Right, for right. No, just because, like, because Gar, like, the, the horse it. guy, raised him. You know? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Nope. I would have bought it. I don't it. buy it either. I actually would have swallowed that pill if it had been given to me by Elyon. You know, right, but, right, right. But, well said. Ooh, that yeah, was man. juicy. That was but very like, well said. Again, yeah. like also like the passage of time, right? It kind of gets like thrown in our oh, face God. just so yeah. so John Gwynn can kind of like be like, oh, nope, nope, nope. Remember, I said this when people are like, people seem to be popping up all over the desolate lands, like or banished lands or whatever, all the time. We like take some weeks to get to where like when uh, Lycos catches up to Fiddley. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's... And it's just like <laughs> all over the place. Um, <laughs> and, but you, you notice these little one-liners where you throw like there's I remember there's this scene at the end of book three where where Cohen is like reminiscing and she's like, just kind of randomly. She's like, man, it's crazy that it's been a year since the events at the beginning of this book. She says it not in those words, obviously, but like (laughs) since the event at the beginning of this book, she says, it's like crazy that it's been a year. And when I read that, I was like, it has like a whole year in this one book. Like I would have guessed like maybe a month or two, you know, but nope, it's been a whole year, which is in my opinion, just Gwen's, covering his back so someone's like dude how did they get like 50 kilometers like a whole army you know and he's like well it's been a whole year and you're like oh right okay that one throwaway line you threw in there well Uh, i think gwen's pretty good at like in the beginnings of chapters and stuff he'll kind of be like you know like three ten days passed and then they yeah you're not wrong he does do that maybe i'm reaching for that complaint as we wrap up here do you think the hand of elion was at play here the whole time kind of as is hinted no you know because you don't. don't. No. I think I don't know what I think. I wanted to be to disagree with you just for the sake of disagreeing with you because it would be more interesting to be like cuz like my kills even like well, you know, I didn't give him like all of the um prophecy but I basically wrote it. But like not word for word, I just kind of gave him the ideas. So maybe Elion's hand was like at play there and like no, you know random things like people stumbling under the starstone treasures happen, so maybe there's some Elion like divineness but like I don't know. I think this story is more a point of like, even divineness aside, good can still rise up and overcome evil. I think maybe that's more of the point sure. than like, yeah. there's a hidden hand at play of destiny here. Um, no, I mean, like, I think that, yeah, that so really I think works. I agree with you. <laughs> I think it really works to not have Alion in play at all because, to your point, you know, like, it seems like these humans can really rise to the occasion. They don't necessarily right, need to cheer Cor- Corbin right. on. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's a really cool takeaway from this series for sure. Like merit. Like if his chosen people were really in that much danger, he probably would have interceded. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I want to believe that uh, if indeed, if unless there's no Elyon at all uh, and Azroth is the only God and he just sucks a lot and like right but even though azroth is created by elion michael tells us yeah exactly so So, like yeah i I mean i I don't know i I think that this does seem to be kind of a a story about um humans uh, ability to kind of like uh unify and understand uh, a threat when they see one and kind of like rise to a certain occasion right overcome on the laurels of their own merit what i'm hazy about is like what about all the people that were like these are armies fighting armies you know what i mean oh like, yeah like what about all the like are they, like the humans that are fighting for oh it was a fatherless generation <laughs> <laughs> like i just don't understand like it's 
it's like there's just like a bunch of humans that are fighting for Nether. And like, do they know that Nether is like in league with a bunch of demons? Like, it, or are they just like, they're still Team Nether? I mean, that's kind of like glanced at. So there's like, like the final battle, there's somebody's brother is rushing the good guy. Yeah, I remember this. Who yeah. is it? And then he like he they basically are like hey and they end up like shaking each other's hands sure. and they join forces. He's like, you really expected me to kill my own brother, Calidus? Come exactly. on. Exactly. But they've been killing people up until then anyway. That was why I thought that part was like okay. They were okay with the staking yesterday morning. <laughs> like, yeah, they were like uh, paling <laughs> yeah. people, sure. But like, if I run into someone I know on the battlefield, like right, oh, no, switching sides. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Like, it just seemed kind of like strange but i mean you could really make that argument for like any epic fantasy yeah but there's definitely going to be some like blood fluid feuds moving forward and right but it's like why are all these warriors in in stormlight archive fighting for sadius like don't they understand how bad sadius is it's like no i do because i'm the reader totally these guys are just like scripts that have sworn i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and back i'm gonna backtrack on that That that's a silly thing to say evan oh i mean not necessarily though because like at one point after being told that like you're following the bright star and then you see like literal demons incarnate your friends who were like jihara sure. moments before then they are like eating children and like the leader's like oh oh i remember when i first got my body the taste of flesh <laughs> <laughs> and you're like okay i'm i'm definitely not fighting for the good forces anymore there would be like an element of like some of the men would be like let's get out of here i don't know man maybe if i if i was if i was fighting for an army and the leaders of that army turned into demons with like demon wings and stuff i'd be like man if they find out i left they're gonna be really mad yeah so, that would be a scary thing to run I mean? from well yep. to conclude i think this is a really fun story i think that john gwen and this is obviously just my opinion i think john gwen bit off a little more than he could that he then i wanted him to chew let's put it that way sure. for this book and i think it could have been aided by him him just chawing a little less but all things considered i think this was a really real at the very least this is a really good test uh kind of like through out of the frying pan into the fire thing to put john gwynn's writing skills through because i really do think that we're going to get some amazing series from oh yeah john Gwynn as an author just by like the 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 difference in quality between the first book and the fourth one it was just like man of all four of these books were the fourth one i would have really liked these books a lot more so i think i I agree with that high hopes for john Gwynn moving forward this series might not be my favorite i might not recommend it hugely if you like really complicated lots of pov awesome huge battles that are explained very well i would recommend this to you but you know i think more generally speaking there's better large-scale epic high fantasy tales out there that are just done a little bit more skillfully but like i said this uh if this is the what's the word i'm looking for the the like not the fire the when you put somebody through the they run the the crucible the crucible thank you <laughs> um yes so this is like these this book series was the john Gwynn's crucible of writing and i think that he's arrived out the other side way better writer and i'm really excited to see what uh the rest of his career has in store for him because he's going to come up with some good stuff i'm pretty certain of it if he hasn't already you know i heard mixed things about this series going into it but i heard almost i've heard no, almost nothing but good things about the bloodsworn series which and is, is that the next one that's the no that's of blood and bone i think that's what that series is called that's the because he has another one in this world right in this world but then there's the bloodsworn saga or a series or whatever um the third book is coming out i believe next year but it might be coming out in 2025 
I think it was delayed because John Gwynn was dealing with some pretty intense family issues. And so people are very eagerly, eagerly awaiting the third book in that series. And I really want to check it out. Like, and I think I said this, I don't know if I said this on this episode or the one before. Don't start with like Dread. No, that's A Blood and Bone. You're thinking, I'm thinking of uh, Hunger of the Gods, Shadow of the Gods. Got it. Okay. I have the first one. With the really amazing covers. Dragons. Like, like, oh my God, those covers are so cool. Some of the coolest covers I've ever seen, honestly. But like I said, like I'm not turned off at all by uh, John Gwynn in the least. Like I still want to read no. more of his books. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I mean, I might read the the next series uh, that takes place in the Banished Lands. I'm not I need super some time. Keen. I didn't, yeah, I'm not super keen to like, I'm not running to go do it. Not super mocking. <laughs> but um, ha, but uh, <laughs> I, could, I could see us totally, once the third book in Bloodsworn comes out, I could see us totally like, doing those on the podcast here. I mean, the covers alone will get me to read them yeah. at some point. For sure. <laughs> I mean, I've so read the cool. first, like, because uh, my, my brother started it and he said he uh, just didn't. I mean, Vaughn just doesn't finish books ever. Like, I never, like, if he doesn't finish a book, it's not because it's not good. It's because Vaughn never finishes books. Right. And if, if those books are anything like some of the issues that I have with this series, like, those are not the books to read for a casual reader, you know? <laughs> like, you know, it's funny. I mean, I read the first, like, 15 ish pages of the first book in the Bloodsworn and I really did enjoy it, like, a lot. So I'm not. And that was before we started Faithful in the Fallen. So, like, I'm sure it's pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, like I said, like, this series just, it, it, for me, it was just, it was really bloated. It was too long. Uh, too many characters. Uh, I wasn't super engaged with everything that was happening. But that's just kind of how it goes sometimes, you know? Every series isn't for every reader. Yep. Um, but, I mean, we did finish it. And Chad and I have started and not finished series in this on this podcast. So, absolutely, it's an indication, you know um just because we're not sitting here like raving endlessly about it does not mean it's not worth reading at all and if you're at the end of this episode you've already read all four books of uh with us and boy can i not express how much gratitude i have for all of our listeners being with us if there's anything that has helped me get through these series and kind of kind of some some of the doldrums some of the parts that i was really struggling with it uh just kind of a little bit lost was the community of people reading these books with us and helping to motivate that makes every book series and especially a honker huge one like this one uh just i get so much more value out of it with everyone reading along so thanks everyone for for sticking with us through this it's been great yeah we really appreciate you listening yeah and on that note of future cool things i literally started the first scholomance uh by naomi novik last night and finished it this morning so i read it and just one <laughs> night busted it out 300 and something pages and i'm really into it so make sure that you uh either go pick up those and start reading with us or or put it on the tbr because uh, it was pretty good and I'm, I'm stoked to finish them yeah everybody seriously um if this is a series that you really love and it's 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 caused you a little bit of pain to hear us not <laughs> loving it as much as you are hey that's what that's what being in a community is all about you know like no hard feelings or anything your taste is super valid and you have your own reasons for liking this and we have our own reasons for disliking some of it but liking a lot of it so just wanted to throw that out there you know like chad and i are not here to tear down any art 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 or authors or stories or anything like that uh but we do kind of like rib it a little bit if we (laughs) if we have some issues with it because we are nerds at our very very core and if you're yeah. listening right now you're a nerd too and we love we you gotta for talk it. about our feels we do uh but anyway that is going to close the lid on the giant jar that is faithful in the fallen have you have done it happier to have it done 
yeah about there i was kind of feeling like that with red rising too dude man <laughs> like, yeah it's, like let's get it done let's you know get it I mean? done like, baby man like, those first three yeah. were smashed yeah. through like a car yeah. accident like a, a dumpster explosion and this next one yeah. is just kind of like smoldering Oof. it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot it's of woe so me too yeah it's very dark but anyway that's going to do it for us today everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you have an awesome rest of your day and of course happy reading bye everybody bye